Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello. Today, I'd like to welcome a very special guest to the podcast and the Naropa community, Richard Miller. Richard is a clinical psychologist, a yoga scholar, an author, and a spiritual teacher. He is also the founder of multiple organizations, and it's a pleasure to be speaking with you today, so thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and you're just fresh off of a workshop that you just did here at Naropa, so it's just really fun to kind of catch you at the end of it. You're kind of new experiences we can just talk about. It's really fun to have you. Absolutely. I'm ready to dive in. Awesome. So I'm kind of curious, who are you? How did you come to where you are? What inspired you to do the work you're doing? Say, for instance, there's a listener out there that doesn't necessarily know who you are. How did you get to where you are now? I love to tell this interesting story. I grew up on the East Coast okay. in Princeton, New Jersey, and came out to California, where I now reside, back in 1967 for the first time. Yeah. And loved it so much. When I graduated from college in 1970, I just packed up my car and drove right to San Francisco. And when I got to the city, I didn't know anyone. Yeah. And somehow, 1970, I decided to take a yoga class at the Integral Yoga Institute run by Swami Satchidananda. Oh. And little did I know that the class was going to be taught in silence for 12 weeks. So over the course Uh-oh. of 12 weeks, we came <laughs> into the building in silence. We did the practices in silence except wow. for the teacher. And we left in silence, so I never met a soul. But huh. I'd like to say at the end of the first class, mm-hmm. When the teacher taught a rudimentary, what I now know as yoga nidra meditation, I had a life transformative moment Yeah, where I left the building feeling deeply connected both to myself mm. and a sense of my place in the universe, this sense of unitiveness. Yeah. And as I was walking home that evening, this kind of spontaneous vow rose up to one, what just happened? And what was this practice that we just did? And how can I learn more? Yeah. Now, back then, I was uh, graduated as a BS in psychology. Okay. And I was exploring San Francisco in ways that I might learn the art of psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I was volunteering at suicide prevention as a on the phones. Yeah. And I started volunteering at this interesting clinic where I met a woman, Laura Cummings, who was willing to take me on as a student uh, to learn psychotherapy. She herself had grown up in the Far East. She had learned yoga from her mother, who was half Chinese, and she grew up in a Buddhist community. She had been trained personally by Eric Fromm and Mm -hmm. an associate of R.D. Lang. 
So when she took me on and I started mentoring with her, she actually would invite me into every session she gave, and then we'd talk afterwards and debrief what had happened. But then right from the beginning, she was helping me understand the integration of yoga, Buddhism, psychotherapy, existential phenomenological from the perspective of Robert Halsh, who she had studied with with R.D. Lang, and humanistic psychology. Yeah. So looking back now, it was a complete integration. I never saw psychology and spirituality as separate. Mm -hmm. They all felt very unified. Yeah. Now, also in those days, I decided to sit as well as doing yoga, Zen. So I was sitting Zen and sitting in Mahayana Buddhism because Laura was a Mahayana Buddhist. So all these practices were coming into my life. I met a wonderful, remarkable teacher who had come from China. Mm -hmm. His great-grandfather had been the physician to the emperor of China. Oh, wow. And I started studying Chinese medicine with him. Okay. Taoist yoga, started practicing acupuncture, wow. and opened a yoga studio. So I've got all these balls in the air. Wow. I'm learning psychotherapy, I'm learning Chinese medicine, I'm studying yoga, I'm studying Buddhism, and they're all coming together in a very, yeah. what I now see was a unique way. Wow, everything you've just said sounds extremely unique and just extremely enriching of so much spirit and thought and body practice and just mindfulness in general. It's very interesting to kind of hear that story. It almost seems like you didn't have a direction and the direction chose you almost. You know, it's true because in those days I was trying to feel in what's my dharma, what's my work in the world. And going between psychology and yoga and Buddhism There came a moment where I started a clinic, a psychology clinic, with Laura and another of her Mm -hmm. students. But after a couple of years of doing it, and I was only in my early 20s, I realized I felt I didn't have the maturity to Mm -hmm. really sit with people in the way that I was being asked to sit with people's very intimate issues. Yeah. So I decided to leave the field of psychology and dive headlong into the field of yoga and Chinese medicine. And so for a number of years, I really just dove deeply into the teachings of yoga and Chinese medicine and all the literature in terms of Buddhism and the different teachings. Also found my way to India with a teacher in India, TKV Desikachar, studying yoga therapy. When I came back from India, that was 1980, I continued my studies with Chinese medicine, having actually taken my needles to uh, India, and I worked in a free clinic for three months Uh there. But when I came back, I realized I was kind of complete Mm. with Chinese medicine, and it was really the yoga and the psychology which were now driving me. And I soon met who would become ultimately my wife, Anne, Mm-hmm. And I remember taking a long walk in the hills, contemplating, what am I doing? And <laughs> what's my work in the world? And yeah. I'm a yogi living out of my studio <laughs> with basically my loincloth and a begging bowl. Yeah, yeah. And I remember taking this walk in the hills of Fairfax, and this voice came out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and it said, it was like God speaking to me, Richard, psychotherapy. <laughs> 
And a week later, I had an office, I had clients, and I still had my yoga studio, and I took off Mm. in the domain of really integrating now and feeling now I was in my early 30s, feeling much more mature and ready to sit with clients. Wow. There's so many lenses in which you're able to look through, and you've studied a lot of different modalities of thought, spirit, healing, energetic liveliness and just learning how to thrive pretty much and it just seems a very unique perspective in which you hold only or maybe others hold too but Mm -hmm. like you have such a unique approach to this thing that you're creating ultimately and it's just really cool to like witness and hear this story yeah for me looking back at times I would feel disoriented or not knowing but it always felt I was looking for what felt right. Mm. I wasn't so much interested in the path, say, that my parents might have wanted me to be in because I was kind of a a black sheep in the family. Mm -hmm. I used to send them books that I was reading (laughs) and write them long letters, and they would send me back the books, and they would say, Richard, you don't understand. We're dogs. You're cats. And dogs don't really understand cats. And we would actually joke about it. Yeah. And actually, my I wrote a letter to my dad mm. one time talking all about what I was doing, and he wrote me back. He said, and I still have the letter. That mm-hmm. was the most beautiful letter I think I've ever received in my life. I didn't understand a word you said, yeah. but just that you took the time to write it. Yeah. So for me, it was always <laughs> trying to feel what felt right. And that really develops within me, I would say, yeah. an inner compass that has, through the years, has really helped me stay on course. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting to realize that everyone has the same mechanisms in which we all have. So we are able to understand each other, but there might be some layovers and or different ways of looking at it from the natural go-to ways, maybe changing the mind, the neuroplasticity of thought or changing the energetic plasticity of your heart or something like that. We all have the same apparatuses, so we can understand each other. The understanding language is... I think of them as familial overlays, cultural overlays, overlays from our personal experience, which can Mm. obstruct our sensing what's the right direction. And I kept really exploring those kind of cultural mores I grew up in and the family mores and really trying to discern what was my path and then drawing on the strengths because I grew up in a very loving family. So I drew upon the strengths of those, but I had to, in a way, set aside a number of the mores that I grew up with. And I, I did feel at times terror, fear. Because I felt like I was in unknown territory constantly. I didn't have anything to hold on to that I knew. Mm -hmm. And yet I felt the strength of the teachings and the modalities I was immersing myself in. And it felt like they were my safe haven showing me the way. Mm -hmm. So for me, it feels like it's been life showing me what to do 
and I've been getting yeah. better and better at following the marching <laughs> orders that I'm constantly being given yeah. by life. Well, it seems like you're doing a great job. <laughs> well, we're trying the best we know how. Awesome. So from what I'm hearing is there's such a inspiration from the Eastern way of living and also the Western way of living. And what I really appreciate about you and your work is you're doing this bridging kind of effort between them both. You're, you're respecting both, you're understanding, you're learning, and then you're bringing them together. And my question for you is, how does that show up in the way you teach? Why bring them together? Clinical psychology and yoga, how much more powerful is that to you than just showing up as a clinical psychologist? Yeah. I have to give credit and gratitude to that first mentor, Laura, who helped me make that integration and really inquire into myself as what's my path. Mm. The Eastern teachings, for some reason, it's a mystery, kept drawing me to them, but I was well-read in Eastern and West, Western psychology mm-hmm. and the teachings of Advaita Vedanta and Kashmir non-dualism. So I felt this kind of early on, a split, and which yeah. would take me, and slowly they integrated more and more, so they felt like an integrated <laughs> path. Interesting. Okay. Now, my dad was a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. I grew up reading his textbooks at night when he would go to bed. I'd sneak down and read all these weird books that he (laughs) had in his library about surgery. He was a surgeon. Okay. And when I got into psychology, of course, we were reading deeply into research and how Mm -hmm. the mind works and all of that. Yeah. As I got involved in yoga, it occurred to me in my early teacher's when I would ask them, why are you asking me to do this? They'd basically say, well, trust me. And I had a very mm. untrusting mind. I wanted to know why this was working. Yeah. So I started combing the literature for research. And there was research coming out of India in those days and some early research out of the Menninger Foundation here in the States. Yeah. So I started reading and diving into all the literature and research both on the Western side and the Eastern side. Yeah. Years later in the mid-80s, a friend of mine, Larry Payne, and I decided to come together and form and found the IAYT, the International Association for Yoga Therapy. Mm-hmm. And what I realized was on the yogic side or Buddhist side, people didn't really have access to the research. I had all this access to the research. So I thought, why not create a journal where I could Mm -hmm. make this research available to people and teachers, students of yoga, who otherwise might not know that it exists. So very early on, I started bringing it out in writings to help both myself, because it Mm -hmm. was my interest, but then the people I was working with, and of course, the journal for the International Yoga Association. Interesting. I just randomly thought of this. Do you feel like the Western mind is the why? It has the like, it doesn't have the like trust, you know? And then the Eastern mind might be like, oh, I trust my teacher. I'm just going to do what they say and then uncover the teachings in which they are ultimately teaching me. I I think, you know, I I reflect what you're saying. I think so. There's in India, you trust the guru, you trust the lineage, you trust everything. In the West, we really have an inquisitive mind. We're, we're trying to understand the whys or the hows. Yeah. Now, 
I was fortunate when I went to India and studied with TKB Desikachar. Mm-hmm. In even our first lesson, he said, look, I'm an Eastern practitioner. I grew up in India. You're a Westerner. I don't want you to take the Eastern teachings and impose it onto the Western mind. Can we work together to help you understand how to take these teachings from mm. the East into the Western world, in the Western mind, yeah. so to make that integration? And I took that very much to heart. Yeah. So I was fortunate with Laura, who came from the Far East. Okay. She was very much in the mind of what is your experience? Mm. So both trusting your heart, but understanding in a way the whys and the hows. Then Desika Char opened me to that. And then later on, I met another spiritual teacher, Jean Klein. And it was fun when I used to study with him, I'd be taking notes about what he was saying. And he'd wander around the room at times and he'd come over and he'd look at my notes, then he'd look at me, then he'd look at my (laughs) notes. Then he'd look at me and then he'd say, point to me and he'd say, make it your own. Mm. So I feel fortunate that the teachers I found my way to were helping me from the inside out understand these teachings. They were all supportive of me diving into the research and making this integration of how do we take these precious Eastern teachings Mm -hmm. into a Western mind, we might say, and use them more as points of self-inquiry rather than just digesting a whole new philosophy. What I came to understand is all the teachings are built on self-inquiries that are really designed to help us come upon our own understanding. Yeah. And so that's the way that I've integrated it and I try to bring it out when I'm teaching. Yeah, it seems as though through the self-inquiry is where the real teaching, the healing, the developing the energy within, the thriving, is actually where that happens. And the teachers are there to be a reflection and or someone to provide information. Yeah, I think of teachers as sacred mirrors. Yeah. They're helping us reflect back to ourself. Mm -hmm. And really dive deeply into ourself and bring that understanding that's already in there, that's innate, and bring it out so that we can recognize it and then apply it in action. They make it seem not as scary. Because if you do it on your own, there's some, you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. Right, or we can get (laughs) lost in different avenues. A teacher, if it's a really good teacher, can help us stay more on track. Mm -hmm. There's another point here, which you're making me think of, which is when I first learned some of these practices Mm -hmm. and I was invited to teach in the early 70s, I was taking the teachings from India and bringing it to my students. Yeah. But I began to wonder. I was asking to see certain images, colors, forms that I had learned, Mm -hmm. certain sounds. Yeah. I began to be curious, what are their images their colors, their forms, their sounds. So I started letting go of the Eastern teachings, but Uh using the inquiries that I was learning from Mm -hmm. the East. So I started asking people, when you feel into your body, where is the sensation that's drawing your attention? And when you go here in your body, can you describe it? And are there any particular images, Mm -hmm. colors, forms 
that are coming out of your psyche that are yeah. particular to your culture, family, history, whatever. What I found was the practices actually became more powerful because mm. people were really excited and they're awakening from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Yeah, I like that idea too because then you're inviting them to feel what they're authentically having show up instead of inserting this, maybe you should see it this way. I was actually sitting in on the last hour of your teaching that you just finished your workshop with. And you were like, does anyone else have any like colors or ideas? And I wrote mine down. Mm -hmm. And I think of it as an ingredients because we're all mentally cooking something. And you talked about like steeping in the stew and mm -hmm. all that. And so I think of things that we work with that are just cooking ingredients. And it's how we cook it, how we prep it, what ingredients we use that gives us our energetic nutrients and how we move forward and yeah, how we and grow you our were, gardens. You were suggesting earlier, which I agree with, which is all the ingredients are already here inside of us. Yeah. <laughs> and we're learning to recognize them, bring them forward. Mm. And as you say in your metaphor, put them in the stew pot yeah. and then they start to cook and we get a really good flavor going. Yeah. And then I think is one of Rumi's poems, he talks about the chickpeas are constantly trying to leap out of the pot before they're <laughs> cooked. And on a good teaching and teacher keeps us in a way stewing until we're fully cooked. Okay. Yeah. I, li I really like that. <laughs> awesome. So you are a PhD in clinical psychology and you're also a yoga practitioner, scholar, how does psychology and yoga show up for you together? How do you teach them together? And how does that relationship between the two empower your teachings more? This practice that I was introduced to in my first yoga session, which I now know was a rudimentary yoga nidra, I really started looking into the Upanishads, the sacred literature, and trying to understand what is this practice. Mm -hmm. So yoga, what I've come to understand and really feel is the embodied feeling of our interconnectedness with ourself and our place in the universe, that yeah. we feel at one with everything. Nidra, while it means sleep in yoga, I came to understand is a changing state of consciousness. So yoga nidra was a form where we were coming to know our interconnected wholeness, both as a separate human being, but also as a unique expression and at one with the universe, yeah. no matter the state of consciousness. Yeah. So we come upon this really delicious inner somatic felt sense. Mm. It's a unitive yeah. consciousness. Uh -huh. And we're able to feel it whether we're happy, sad, mm. irritated, whatever's going on. Yeah. Then I started looking at the different elements that made up the practice. And along the way, I was picking up the teachings of Sankhya, Patanjali, Advaita Vedanta, mm -hmm. and the Shaivism, unqualified non-dualism. Yeah. But as I said, I was also studying into Taoist yoga. I was studying Mahayana Buddhism and Zen. Mm -hmm. And along the way, delving into Dzogchen and Mahamudra. I began to wonder, what's the singular thread through all these different teachings? I also at one time considered becoming a minister and was headed for the ministry and ultimately came back to the yoga because I realized if I went through the ministry, <laughs> I'd still be back here doing what I'm doing. Yeah. 
I was always <laughs> interested in what's the singular thread that runs through every spiritual tradition. Mm. And the yoga nidra gave me a framework with which I could begin to hang off every teaching I had ever been exposed to. The yoga nidra for me is like a tree with all these branches that the teachings I can hang off of. Okay. But the main trunk is that kind of singularity that they all mm -hmm. have in common. Yeah. So as I began to either both practice and then teach it mm -hmm. and get reflections from my people I was uh, teaching and then working within psychology, I began to see both yoga nidra was an ability for me to hang all the Eastern teachings off of. Mm. But all of a sudden I realized I could hang all the Western teachings on it too. And all of a sudden the clarity became so yeah. amazing where I could see every Western psychological approach, every Eastern approach reflecting one another, yeah. but this singularity within them that they all shared in mm. common. And so East and West, for me, fell away into this singularity of understanding. Yeah, they're so compatible with each other. You have such an interdisciplinary way of looking at everything. Before I was 14 years old, I almost became like six different religions. <laughs> and then when I was 21, I found Buddhism. And what I realized with Buddhism is spirit is within you don't have to have a community, but it always helps to have a community. Correct. And I realized the thing I was searching for was like already inside of me. And it sounds like uh, when you're searching for the thing to hang it on the trunk, what you're actually going for is authenticity based in truth and love. And all those things are trying to teach you how to be authentic, but they just have the different modality of getting you there. You know, it's like you're choosing a different route, exactly. but you have the same destination in which you're going to. And it's just all based on finding yourself, finding your higher path. And I just love how you're, you just took them all together and you, you made your stew. You know, it's like the, the trunk was the pot in which you put all the ingredients in. And as you're saying, it reflects back to me what I discovered in their kind of four movements in our development, the first really for us as human beings, I think, is to become a, a good, integrated, individuated human being, yeah. Yeah. friendly terms with our emotions, our thoughts, mm -hmm. our body sensations, so that we can be responsible to all of our emotions and every situation that comes. Yeah. I think there's in where the strength of the Western psychology lives. It really has the tools and offers us the tools of how to be a good, integrated, healthy ego that feels ourselves as separate. Yeah. Then the Eastern teachings come in, and they really help us how to wake up out of that sense of separation, find yeah. our place in the universe where we feel a unity with everything mm. and no sense of separation. And then how do we bring that back down, re-embody it, in ourselves with our emotions, our thoughts, and then take that into our relationships, into our work, our, our life in all the aspects. Yeah. Along the way, I found at points, like I had two teachers in Advaita, and at times they both independently, because they didn't know each other, told me, if you really want to realize these sacred Indian teachings and really become enlightened, mm -hmm you're going to have to leave your family, 
leave your job, check into a monastery, and mm -hmm. we'd support you in doing that. And I thought to myself, I'm a Westerner. I've got children. I've got a wife yeah. who I love. I've got a job that I really enjoy. Yeah. If I can't realize these teachings within a Western lifestyle, then they're really not going to work for anybody. So mm. it became my challenge, I would say, okay. to make this integration of how do I take these very precious Eastern teachings, mm -hmm. the precious Western teachings that I absorbed, bring them together and use them to awaken as a Westerner yeah. In the midst of circumstances, job, children, family. Yeah. And what I came to discover is really nothing needs to get in the way. Yeah. Everything mm. is, in a way, manure <laughs> and fertilizer for our awakening. How else are you going to grow that flower? You know what I mean? To get that essence of the pure beauty through the compost. Well, that's my sense that really yeah. to become an awake human being operating on all 12 cylinders, we have <laughs> to be on friendly terms with our body, our mind. Yeah. We have to learn how to welcome all that we are. Mm. And one of the insights I've had personally is, for me, everything I look at is an expression that comes out of this deep mystery that's given birth to the entire cosmos. And so when I look around at everything, I realize everything is part of that mystery. Every mm -hmm. thought, every emotion, every body sensation, every person, every tree, every rock is the mystery incarnate. So what am I trying to get rid of? What am I trying to change? So my practice has really been of one of welcoming everything as expressions of that underlying mystery that I am, yeah. that you are, and embodying that in every moment. Mm. And what I found is that awakens tremendous compassion, love, really grounded sense of deep safety yeah. within ourselves. And when we see everything as ourself, actually it brings an end to conflict and war. Yeah. Because we become intimately interested in everything. Yeah. And it almost seems as though through the relationship building of becoming friends with oneself, like the heart and the mind channel ways, once they stop arguing, then the ickiness kind of just dissolves or realizing it never was there. It was kind of self-inflicted or just made up. Learned habits, yeah. I would say. And you just, we need to clear our perspectives. Yeah, and I, yeah. I like that image. Everything <laughs> loses its stickiness, yeah. and it just becomes very delicious. Yeah. And even the difficult, challenging moments, I mean, I still, as a human being, have my preferences. I'd like Definitely. to feel good. Yeah, of course. And I'd like everything to run smoothly. Yeah. But when things don't, I'm able to welcome them in. Yeah. And... I use everything as a messenger. Mm. So an emotion, a thought, a difficult circumstance, I'm trying to look at how can this teach me yeah. so that I can feel I'm responding in this moment and in harmony with the universe mm -hmm. rather than just a separate ego trying to make my way yeah. in the world. What is the medicine in this moment? 
Nice. And how do we use that? Yeah. One thing that I'm realizing in my life is there seems as though there's been a lot of like things that I I don't agree with happening in my life. But what I've realized, if you show up in truth and love and you make your decisions rooted in that, there might be some momentary pain, but you ultimately are tending to the garden of your energy and it will only serve you. It will only help you out if you step forward in that in every moment, which isn't easy sometimes, but the more you do it, the more you just kind of default to just being really good-hearted. Yeah, life is challenging, and I think these tools that we're talking about from the East and the West, they're the owner's manual we may not have gotten <laughs> when we were a kid, Yeah, and they're giving us the tools with which to yeah. meet and grow that garden mm. and grow that capacity to feel tremendous love yeah. and self-kindness and compassion, mm-hmm. both for ourselves and the people we're yeah. in relationship and with. And it's okay to update your operating system. All the time. <laughs> All the time. Awesome. So I want to speak a little bit about IRES. Naropa invited you for the weekend workshop for the Breeze of Simplicity. And it, you had like a packed house of people just laying down and through guided meditation and conversation. Can you tell us what IREST is? It was a, it's an organization you started or is it a process or can you just tell me what that is? Well, right now it's a little bit of both. Awesome. Originally, I learned it as Yoga Nidra, okay. a form of meditation mm-hmm. coming out of the yogic tradition. And I taught it as Yoga Nidra for many years. Yeah. In 2004, I was invited by Walter Reed Army Medical Center to do a study using the program with wounded warriors coming back from war with post-traumatic stress syndrome. Mm-hmm. When I started to engage the research, they came to me and they said, you know, we're Army, we're Marines, <laughs> yeah. we're Navy. We don't do yoga. Yoga's for sissies. Call it something else. You'll be surprised. Yeah. Well, I thought about it and I thought, okay, let's call it integrative restoration. So integrative because I think these practices integrate our psyche and help us become a a potentially aided, fully individuated, awake human being. Yes. And restorative because they restore this innate sense of wholeness and unity consciousness to the forefront of our awareness. Mm -hmm. And back in 2004, everything was iPad and iPhone, so why not iRest? Yeah. I for integrative and a small I, which for me means the (laughs) ego is helping find its proper functioning, which is not the driver. I see what you did there. It's just a passenger. And then restoration. Yeah. So the the military came back to me and said, we can do integrative (laughs) restoration. So we entered into the research, and it was so successful to this date. Awesome. Any wounded warrior going through their healing process at Walter Reed Army Medical Center can take our program mm. as part of their healing regimen. Yeah. A couple of years later, I got a call from the head psychiatrist, and he said, you know, we love your program. It's been highly successful. We've decided you can call it anything you want. So we call it Integrative Restoration Eye Rest Yoga Nidra Meditation. Well. And the reason I do that <laughs> is I go into a lot of homeless shelters, mm-hmm. clinics, chemical dependency units, yeah. hospitals, all over the world, VA, DOD sites. I teach then I rest. Yeah. So when I say to someone, when they ask me, what do you do? And I say, well, I teach I rest. 
they're very curious. They go, well, what's that? I have an open door now to talk about anything. Yeah. When I go to a yoga center, I teach yoga nidra mm. because that's the words that they're familiar with. Yeah. When I go to a Buddhist meditation center, I teach meditation. Yeah. But it's all the same. So the words, I think, <laughs> give us access because uh -huh. long ago when I'd be on a plane and somebody said, what do you do? And I'd say, well, I teach yoga. And they'd immediately say, oh, I need to exercise more. So I decided to say, I teach meditation. And then mm. they would say, oh, I need to relax more. And I realized if I said I teach yoga or meditation, I was yeah. immediately put in a box. Assumptions show up. But if somebody says, well, what do you teach? And I say, oh, I teach IRS. They go, well, what's that? And now I have the freedom to talk yeah. about anything. Interesting, because then they, they show up with a question. They rebuttal. They're like, well, tell me more. And yeah, you're like, I'd exactly. love to. Exactly. <laughs> and the other thing is when I go into an organization like a homeless shelter or the military, mm -hmm. I want to teach it in a very secular manner. Yeah. So that they realize I'm not trying to impose anything. There's no philosophy mm -hmm. I'm pushing. I'm actually teaching them a series of inquiries, 10 steps within a 38 larger map that are helping them come to health, healing, and for those awakening. Yeah. But it's a very secular program. Mm -hmm. Now, when I'm here at Naropa, there are no holds barred. So I can talk <laughs> Give it to us, everything. You know? <laughs> so yeah. I can talk about yoga mm -hmm. and nidra yeah. and the You're teachings out of us. which it comes. But I'm mm -hmm. also trying to showcase it also is how is it also a secular program so that mm -hmm. anybody can utilize it. Yeah. And Years ago, I realized what I would like to have as a teacher is when I'm standing at the door after having taught a class, mm -hmm. everybody who's filing out is whispering in my ear, thank you for making the practice just for me today. Wow. Now, Very cool. one of those is a Buddhist, hmm. one's a yogi, one's a Christian, huh. one's a Jew, huh. one's a Muslim, one's a, a Rosicrucian, one's an atheist. In other words, I got one of everybody filing by me and saying the exact same thing. Thank yeah. you for making the practice just for me today. So I think we mm -hmm. as teachers need to teach in a way that each person in the room is feeling this is the practice they're making just for me. Yeah, That's a skill that I think comes with time. But yeah. when we're speaking to a group where there are all these different people in the room from people, mm -hmm. different backgrounds, different cultures. There might be somebody from China, somebody from India, someone from Japan and America, Australia. I want to be teaching to them in such a way that they really feel I'm yeah. teaching particularly to them. So I think that's where to make these teachings in a way secular, to take a lot of the Eastern and Western psychological jargon out of it and yeah. really use simple, straightforward language. Mm -hmm. But use language in such a way they go, that's interesting. Can you say more about that? Mm. Yeah. So it really piques people's curiosity. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of relatability and there's a lot of diversity. And it sounds like you've done your homework of multiple different perspectives and so you're able to say different words in moments and to feel it out too. So 
Thank you for sharing all that. <laughs> yeah, and there's a piece that I often do. When I went to the military, I realized if I walked in, started spouting all sorts of spiritual language, they'd yeah. kick me right out of yeah. the room. <laughs> so what I started to do, and now this is what I do with my students, I ask them to come into their body, mm-hmm. have their experience, and then describe it to me. So if someone, say, I ask them to come to rest back in a moment of just being quiet Mm -hmm. and to feel into themselves and come into a kind of a relaxed state of being and have them describe it, Mm -hmm. whether I'm in a homeless shelter, a military center, a hospital with oriented or non-oriented people, I find they're telling me the same things like I feel this sense of presence or this sense of peace or Mm. equanimity or openness. Now, I love it. They just gave me the words that now I can speak back to them. And because they gave me the words, they'll accept the words from me. But if I had come in and said, I want you to rest back and feel this sense of equanimity and peace and presence, they would have said, huh? Yeah, what was that? (laughs) Toss me out of the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. They're internally mapping the landscape for you. And then you're just like, okay, I'm going to read that map. And what I've (laughs) come to appreciate of whether I've been in China, whether I've been in Australia, Mm -hmm. England, wherever I go and whomever I with, when I actually have them go into their own experience, they all give me the same words. Mm. It's like cross-cultural that's coming out of the depths of our experience as a human being. There's something there. There is something there that we all share in common. (laughs) We're quickly running out of time. This is so much fun, you know, and so easy. I feel like we could just keep talking forever. (laughs) But Naropa University is in the process of developing a yoga therapy program. And I'm curious, how does therapy and yoga show up for you? Like, why is that a good combination? When Larry Payne and I (laughs) decided to co-found this organization, Mm -hmm. we actually had an arm wrestling match. Okay. Do we call it the International Association of Yoga Therapy Mm. or the International Association of Yoga Educators? And back in 1980, when we were having this conversation, therapy was gaining momentum. And so, much to my dismay, we ended up calling it the International Association of Yoga Therapy. Yeah. But I think, really, yoga therapy is educational. We're mm. helping people dive into themselves, yeah. come to their own realizations, and what we find is healing takes place. Yeah. And so we might say, then, it's therapeutic because... Oftentimes, I'm having people rest back, really inquire into their body, welcoming sensation, emotions. They'll come off the floor and say, what just happened? Because I've had chronic pain for 12 years and it's gone. Wow. Or I've had this depression and I can't find it anymore. It's like gone. <laughs> so we know yeah. that the, the tools of yoga are very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. But we're not using them prescriptively. We're using them, or the way that I think of yoga therapy, is we're creating portals of self-inquiry. Now, there are tools in our arsenal of yoga, like postures and pranayama, Mm -hmm. where we can give people interventions. Mm -hmm. But when I do, I give it to them as a way of them exploring themselves 
And I've come to appreciate when we do that working together. Yeah. Because I think the yoga therapist and the student or client, we're co-creating the healing. Yeah. And it's based on the relationship. I'm engendering a, a safe environment of mm -hmm. trust where they can begin to explore themselves. And I know in any relationship there will be mistakes that be made. And it's the trust that's engendered that help us look at what was that mistake. For instance, when I first went to Desikachar, I had a serious neck injury. Mm -hmm. So he gave me a series of poses to do and breathings. I came back several days later. And I said, you know what you gave me is making me feel worse. And he said, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> now we know what doesn't work. And I trusted him, <laughs> and slowly we developed together a plan that yeah. worked. But I was drawing uh, on his experience, uh -huh. but I was the practitioner who was trying it out. Yeah. So yoga therapy for me is educational. We're giving people interventions, but it's always looking at, I wonder if this will work. Yeah. Now, I've been practicing for some 48 years, so I have, I think, some very good tools that I can use as a starting point, Definitely. and I'm pretty sure these are going to have a benefit. But I'm yeah. always holding in my mind they may not, and can we have a trusting relationship so you can come back to me and they say, you know, what you gave me didn't work. Yeah. Now I can say, like Jessica Char said to me, fantastic. Now we know that doesn't work. And we start to pursue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of a trip to hear. You're just all of a sudden like, what do you mean fantastic? Like, it didn't work. And you're like, no, 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 no. Now let's try something that might. Yeah. You know, let's move on. It is a process of yeah. elimination. You know, as experienced <laughs> practitioners, we get better and better at guessing yeah. what's going to work. Yeah. But we've got to still open, mm. have that openness for exploration Definitely. and not get held hostage by the things we've learned. It's that openness and curiosity yeah. that I think is the driving force behind yoga therapy. Yeah. So I have one more question for you. And um, I'm also going to just add a little something on the back end of that. So I'm curious. It seems like you you work on a lot of different things, and you're just kind of always moving. you got a lot of energy, and this is beautiful. What's coming up for you that you're working on that you're really excited about and you'd like to say or anything you'd like to share about the work you've been discovering? And also, can you just uh, let the listeners know how to reach you, how to find you, maybe um, some informational books that you've written I've been doing this work for 49, almost 50 years. Awesome. And what's exciting me now is at a stage of my life of passing on mm -hmm. the knowledge that I've gained, the experience I've gained to my students and the people I'm working with. And I'm engaged with different processes for uh, – filming what I'm doing so we can put it into legacies. Yeah. But really it's about passing on what I got from all of my teachers and keep that learning going. So that's really where my passion yeah. is. And I've got a number of books that I'm writing, uh, trying to organize the teachings in such a way that they can be passed on easily. Yeah. So over the years, uh, I had originally a nonprofit called the Center of Timeless Being. Mm. When like iRest really caught hold, we changed the name to the Integrative Restoration Institute. Uh -huh. And we just changed it to the iRest Institute to okay. make it really simple. Yeah. But on our, on our website at www.irest.org, mm -hmm. we actually are having two portals, mm -hmm. one that go into the secular teachings for healing and well-being 
and one that go deeply into the non-dual exploration of meditation so people can find access to the teachings that are, are resonating with them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've published a number of books with Sounds True and New yeah. Harbinger. I've, I've got actually five books that I'm trying to write right now. Look at you. Jeez. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I'm excited because wow. I'm in being invited to places like China and mm-hmm. Japan and Beautiful. just feeling the wave of Yoga Nidra that's, that's starting to yeah. really grow and crest. So it's a wonderful period in my life to yeah. see these teachings of yoga really have taken hold, blossoming. Mm-hmm. And like when I show up here at Naropa and we've got a 90 people in the room uh-huh. who are just on fire. Yeah. That <laughs> Not is Not literally on fire. <laughs> Energetically on fire. Yeah. Yeah, the when I walked in the energy was really high and really good, but at the same time it was it was really low and felt it felt like a cloud. Mm-hmm. Like it just a really energetic cloud and all it just held you really nicely cuz the eye rest is very chill. It's very <laughs> relaxing. It's yes. very informative. There's a lot of inquiry in the body and in the mind and there's a lot of space to do some homework. Yeah. You know, I'll add one more thing. I think the teachings that I've been given mm-hmm. and helped uncover and this singularity of a thread that I think runs through all teachings, what I find when people come, and this is really exciting to me, from other traditions, they're coming from a Sufi tradition or a Buddhist tradition or a Zen or no tradition at all, they're getting excited because they're seeing teachings that are informing their practice. Yeah. And helping them understand their own practices in a much more deeper and authentic way. Yeah. And while I'm, you might say, pushing yoga nidra and, uh-huh. and yoga teachings in general, I'm really excited how they're enervating other forms of teachings. And then people are integrating these teachings into their forms yeah. of Buddhism or Christianity. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I was teaching and a woman came up to me afterwards and said, I'm a fundamentalist Christian. Mm-hmm. I can't find anything to object in your teachings. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I just got the seal of good housekeeping. Yes. <laughs> so I, I love that we can move these teachings mm. into any community, yeah. no matter their philosophical or religious spiritual background, yeah. and they go away feeling more informed, more on fire in their own tradition. Yeah, they're inviting. And... You can't find anything wrong if you're always stepping forward in truth. Yes. Truth is never wrong. No. So you can't fight with reality. <laughs> it's always going to win. It's going to win. Nature just wants to encourage you. Absolutely. That's all it's really trying to do. <laughs> well, I I really appreciate you speaking with me. I feel I feel really good. This this was a great conversation. You just have so much energy and so much excitement. You've been doing this work a long time. You have so much knowledge, but you come at it from a point of view of as a student and a teacher and a knowledgeable person who's done their homework and it's just really refreshing and just exciting to to witness and I want to go to my deathbed learning yeah every day yeah curious and open <laughs> yeah. to what's new and what's in this moment that totally. I'm opening to mm. absolutely that might be the biggest lesson you have yeah Wow. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, I thank you. This has been fun. I yeah. really enjoyed our conversation. So <laughs> cool. I appreciate you bringing me on.
So that was Richard Miller here on the podcast and with the Naropa community. He is a clinical psychologist, a yogic scholar, an author, a spiritual teacher, and he has founded many multiple organizations. And so I'd just like to say thank you again. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You, the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.